a favour the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations and the magic of their workflow. And I'm joined today by Dave Addy. Hello Dave. Hello. Would you like to tell everybody who you are? Yeah, so I guess by day I'm a software engineer based over in the US these days, as my accent doesn't suggest. But by night I write silly books about typography and science fiction movies and a fairly epic blog of the same name by called Typeset in the Future. So, you know, that keeps life interesting. And Typeset in the Future, if I remember rightly, didn't it just start with you making a kind of like observation on TV tropes about yeah. a particular font? It, it, it did. I made the terrible mistake of going to TV tropes for a start, which basically that was that weekend gone. And yeah, I posted a thing about how every single sci-fi movie uses the same font. This The, the classic big, bold, chunky thing you'll recognize, Eurostyle, bold, extended, they all use it. And I posted some examples which required me to go and watch some sci-fi movies and make screenshots. And that was my second terrible mistake, because then I watched more sci-fi movies and took more screenshots and then ended up spending about a month writing a blog post. And yeah, then four years later, publishing a book. So, you know, be careful what you start. I think well, yeah, <laughs> well, ne- never go to TV tropes. would be. Yeah, never go to TV that. tropes. Not, yeah. not if you value your relationships and life, because yeah. it is the most addictive rabbit hole on the Internet. I'll put a link in the show notes. For... <laughs> <laughs> I So what time is it with you at the moment? It is 9.07 a.m. OK, so it's so you've breakfasted. I have breakfasted, which is good for all of us because I won't okay. get hungry. Excellent. So... I suppose one thing that I just wanted to sort of think about, just pick up, I guess, on from the whole your the typeset, your typeset in the future journey was, you have this kind of persona that you write typeset in the future as, of kind of basically a guy. Well, you explain him. That yeah, I mean the the the, the, the shtick is kind of taking it all far too seriously, but kind of being a little bit silly in the process. And I, I think that wasn't that wasn't necessarily a deliberate choice. It just amused me. But it kind of became a persona by just doing it for a while. And I, I, every now and again, people, I think, think that's really me and that I am taking it far too seriously. But the the, the truth couldn't, couldn't be more different. It's just, I love these movies. I love digging deep into these movies and giving people an excuse to go and watch them again. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the fact that I take it literally in the text is, is yeah, definitely, uh, definitely affected. Because it feels... It feels like that that guy, the typeset in the future guy, is kind of he only really cares about the fonts. <laughs> yes, no, no, well, that, that's the recurring joke is that there'll be these huge epic scenes that have become you know cinematic touchstones. It's like, well, there's no typography in that bit, so we'll skip that bit. <laughs> and uh, that's the joke is that you know mm-hmm. we just it's choosing to watch the movie through a very specific kind of lens, which mm-hmm. just doesn't care about everything. I mean, it does care about other bits, but yeah, that's definitely the definitely the recurring theme. It's and so you, and you did. Was it? It was two thousand and one. You did start with, wasn't it? It started with two thousand and one, a space odyssey, because honestly, that's where the use of this typeface started. Okay. That was the one that kind of made it the canonical font of the future. So I, I dug into that one. And you chose um, not to. You chose not to concentrate on Pyrus or whatever it was that appears right at the beginning. <laughs> oh, there was. Um, I think it's Albertus is the one you get for uh, the Dawn of Man. 
Okay. So it's like they, they actually go the complete, and it looks like it's chiseled into a gravestone. It's, you know, okay. it's full on kind of meant to be historical times uh, typeface as a very definite counterpoint to the, the kind of big, bold sans serif year of stuff. But yes, other than noting it was different, I chose not to go too deep into that because it's about the future. It's not called typeset in the past. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Skip over that one. Okay, so are you ready to do this? We've got a few yes. questions that we do. There will be tangents, but but that's fine. Um, and so let's start off with where we always start off on do yourself a favour. With what's something that you wish you'd learnt sooner? So it has taken me pretty much the majority of my career to discover that being a generalist, being a jack of all trades, is actually its own speciality. And I really, really wish somebody had told me this when I started out, because <laughs> I spent I spent a lot of my career kind of thinking, you know, well, I'm I'm okay at a bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, I'm a reasonably good programmer. I can do a bit of design. I can kind of manage a project, I guess, in a push. But I've never been, you know, a, a, an expert in any of them. And this is true more generally in life. I've never mm -hmm. been, you know, like the best at any possible thing. And I, I, for the longest time, thought that that was, that was the aspiration, was to be, you know, like, you know, to, to pick one thing and just focus on it and become like the, the world expert on that. Maybe you could make an exception for science fiction typography. I guess I did that one. <laughs> but even then, I'm kind of a fraud. I've never designed a typeface or made a sci-fi movie. I just look at them a lot. But point being, having never been an expert in one thing, I just kind of assumed that was me doing it wrong. And I just hadn't found the thing or I hadn't taken the time to, to focus. Mm -hmm. uh, what I eventually came to realize, really just through doing it long enough, was that actually that was my speciality, was that I was quite good at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and because I was reasonably okay, quite good at a lot of things, I could plug all of those things together in ways that perhaps folks who'd gone deep on one thing wouldn't. So, you know, maybe I've done a bit of stuff with kind of audio and video. Maybe I've done some programming. Maybe I've done a bit of DJing in my spare time. So I made a DJ app. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, that's me plugging together three or four different things. And actually, that's something that maybe I was better placed to make because I had these, these various different experiences that I kind of got okay at. <laughs> so I, I think celebrating the fact that you are good at a bunch of stuff, but maybe not an expert in any and seeing the value in that and seeing the, the kinds of roles and jobs and opportunities where being good at plugging different things together is actually the, you know, the best thing for that role. I think that, that was the bit it took me a long, long while to, to discover, but I'm glad I finally did. What, so this is the, my, my follow-up question to, to that question is always, what do you think you missed or what, what do you think the downside was of not having realized that soon? Oh, gosh, that is a great question. I think I would perhaps have focused on making the most of the fact that that was what I was good at. So maybe there were cases where, you know, I would do something where I would go, I would try and be really, really good at one thing and not necessarily do as many of the, well, I'm going to do these other things on the side. Okay. Uh, which would actually have been, I would have learned this other domain and this other domain. And I could have, that would have been more things I could have plugged together. You know, it's almost like you're building a toolkit of all the stuff you know how to do, and you can then spot the connections between them and plug them together. Mm -hmm. So I think if I'd known that sooner, I would have kind of relished it and sought out more things to add to that, that toolkit. Um, I mean, I kind of still did it anyway, because it just, they were interesting. So I guess mm -hmm. there was still, that was still going on, but I wasn't, seeking it out perhaps in the way that I would have done if I'd realized sure that was a thing yeah no I recognize quite a lot of myself in that as well I can kind of think 
when you're doing it at the time, sometimes when I'm bouncing around between like different ideas and things, I kind of like berate myself for dabbling. <laughs> yes. I'm not, um, I'm not taking this, I'm not taking this thing as seriously as I, I should do, or kind of like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just being distracted by something. And I think it's quite easy to, to kind of convince yourself that every, you know, that everyone else has got their niche. Where's my niche? And maybe, and you're right, being, being able to spot the way that different disciplines can slot together kind of is its own its own niche it's own... exactly that exactly and, and a dabbling is a great word for it and there have been so many things that i've it, it, my, my wife and i joke about it's kind of the you know the hobby of the week principle we, we both have this tendency that we'll do something and we'll get really into it and then maybe a month later it's like well that's the that's enough of that you know mm. on to the next thing but that doesn't mean that you failed at that thing or that that month was wasted it's like okay that's another thing i know about now that's mm. another thing that should i need it in the future i can draw on and go back to and maybe i will go deeper on it again mm -hmm. but it's kind of just built again building out that, that toolkit so mm. i i think that dabbling dabbling is very much to be encouraged uh, rather than seen as a you know distraction or a waste of time mm -hmm. there's what's the hobby of the week uh the hobby of the week right now my goodness is photogrammetry what okay <laughs> <laughs> just to, just so i can put it in the show notes please tell us what photogrammetry is. photogrammetry is where you take a lot of photos of an object mm. and then you feed them into some very smart software and it makes you a 3d model of that object um so this is this has been a thing i have been learning how to do because of course i have i mean that's what you do with a saturday mm. i guess but yeah that just uh, and i am sure give it a few more weeks maybe that's enough for that and i'll move on to whatever mm -hmm. the next thing might be but i've certainly learned a lot about you know, how to take better, sharper photographs and how to actually make sure you have full coverage of an object so you can make a good 3D model of it. And I've learned about 3D models in the process. So I've, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I've picked up a bunch of kind of small bits of knowledge, even though I was actually trying to make this thing, trying to make a 3D model. And okay. that will come in useful down the line, I am sure. So, so in this house, sort of esoteric hobby of the of the minute is um, I started roasting my own coffee a few a few weeks ago. So, so that's a very smoky, smelly. I'm currently I'm doing it in a wok, literally buying <laughs> buying green coffee beans and just stir frying them in a wok until they go crack. Sounds it's, really fun. It is. It is. Uh, thing I learned today is that. Ethiopian dejima beans have a little tendency to run away and suddenly they're burnt. <laughs> that didn't happen with the Costa Rican ones I got last time. So uh. it's there's there's kind of things to things to know about each one. So so yeah, that's that's the thing that I'm doing at the moment, which is <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time. And again, the, the reason is because of course I am. Um yeah. yeah. And I am sure you will have a much greater appreciation for and understanding of any coffees that you buy in the outside world from here on in it's like oh okay that's why they do that yeah there's there's some really interesting stuff in there about okay you know sort of like levels of roasting and the the kind of beans and why so that so there's one thing for example that comes that when you roast coffee beans they they give off carbon dioxide after they've been roasted hmm. and they have to sit for a while and this is how you can tell if like you get coffee and it's fresh if you're making filter coffee when you get the grounds and you put them in the filter if you put a bit of water on them they sort of puff up yeah if they're really really freshly roasted and if they're not if they've they've got a bit off and gone a bit stale then they don't puff up it just sort of sits there as flat so actually that's a really good way of test of seeing whether when you bought coffee from somewhere 
it, how long it is since it was roasted because whether it sort of puffs up when you put water on it, for example, is a thing that I didn't really know before. So now you can test your instant coffee to see if it's any good or not. That's right. Absolutely. Huh. Yes. Also, just I've just been reminded, there's a phrase that I was playing around with a little, little while ago. So another way that I have, as well as dabbling, another way that I've actually been described around the way that I, you know, dipping into stuff is, is being mm. a, uh, something of a dilettante. And that that word does have kind of connotations of kind of, you know, shiny, easily distracted and, and so on. But, and I think you'll appreciate this, the, the actual original French definition of dilettante is someone who does something for the love or the delight it literally comes Ooh. from delight Ooh, i like that and <laughs> i and i think there's something really interesting in that sense of a word that's almost pejorative around someone who skips around around a little bit actually comes from this idea of just taking genuine joy from hmm. doing and discovering something new yeah, well, the, the the joy in learning it, the joy in learning a new thing, I think is mm-hmm. is not you know not to be sniffed at it, rather than it being a well, why are you learning that thing? You know, how is that possibly useful to what you do right now? It's just learning stuff is interesting. Learning stuff is fun mm-hmm. and fires your brain and helps your brain be more generally creative, even in not the thing that you're learning, because you mm-hmm. know it's firing the neurons and, and making new connections. And I, I remember. There was an awesome documentary I saw um, on the BBC years ago where they they were doing kind of, you know, showing the latest research into creativity Mm -hmm. and showing that the the value of doing even a thing you already know how to do in a different way. Like they they gave the example of uh, making your kind of, you know, your Nutella on toast by putting the Nutella on the plate and then putting the toast on the plate upside down. So, you know, it's Nutella on toast, but you're just doing it in a weird way. Uh, and even just doing that, people did about 10% better on a creativity test after they'd done that than people who made it the normal way. And it was just the, the very fact of getting your brain to do something different or do it in a different way was a real trigger for creativity. So I think that that joy of learning has benefits in even unconnected, you know, in your day job as well, because you're just you're firing your brain in a way it wouldn't be otherwise. I There's something in there as well about the connections, because there was a there's a and I'll put the if I can find it I'll put the the link in the in the uh, show notes but there's a a university that's been doing a study of creativity and their their measure of creativity of how creative you know you you're you are as a person they ask you to list I think it's 10 or 12 words Mm. those words and you have to try and make those words as distinct from the previous words Oh, interesting. Together. Yeah, so the idea is make a list of words that are as different as possible from <laughs> each other. And, that, and that's the measure that they use for your, to, to kind of assess creativity because they found that actually people who gravitate towards certain, you know, they'll, they'll like bunch kinds of words together and also what, what constitutes different, if mm. you can think, you know, so it's, 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 it's a really interesting way of looking at it. And they kind of said that the people who are, who score higher on that that kind of test tend to be you know better lateral thinkers because mm-hmm. they're able to call on the different parts of their brain and different parts of their their knowledge at times that wouldn't necessarily be connected yes. with with what they're they're looking at at that, at, at that yeah point. The, the the making connections bit is is definitely a huge benefit or if not the benefit honestly mm-hmm. of the being a generalist because I think it's the you'll have a bunch of stuff that you've just you know you've 
dabbled with over the mm-hmm. over the years. Maybe it was four years ago. It doesn't have to be even recent. And it'll just spark a thought when you're in a connection, you know, you're in a situation where you need to come up with a creative way of doing stuff. And mm-hmm. because you've got that experience, it will spark a thought, but maybe other folks in the room might not think of. And the, the more of those you've got, the more likelihood there is of an unusual or unexpected connection being made. So mm-hmm. I, I really do think, you know, that, Dabbling for the win. It is. It mm-hmm. is. It is a good thing not to be sniffed at. Interest. How do you find, from a, from a kind of cultural experience point of view, being a Brit in California, mm-hmm. how do you find that as a way of adding a different angle to the conversations and creativity and thought? Does it help? Ooh. Does it hinder? How does it? How does it manifest itself? Well, ha- having a British accent definitely helps because everyone thinks you're twenty percent brighter than you actually are. So that's really good. <laughs> you know, you kind of you just come with a bit of gravitas that that you wouldn't have, I think, otherwise. Even a um, homicide accent. Yeah, well, I mean, that one was knocked out of me by my university friends. I now have a, <laughs> a neutral accent rather than a Jon Snow accent that I used to have. When you know, when I was a kid, my accent was a hundred percent. Oh no, Jon Snow. So I think having having the more neutral kind of you know. Was mm. again transatlantic accent definitely helps, mm. but now I, I, I think it, it's especially living in California, which is much more of a melting point, melting mm. pot of people from all over the US and the world. Anyway, I think it's mm. less of a less of a thing. It, it definitely, I mean, it, it's another example would be the value of diversity in a workforce is a great of course, example yeah. of this. It's the same principle. If you've got people with different experience, they're going to think of things that you wouldn't. I think that mm-hmm. that's almost the kind of the extreme and most desirable take on this is. The more varied experiences you've got, the more likely you are to come up with creative solutions for things. So. Mm-hmm. Have you read um, Rebel Ideas? I have not. Matthew Syed. So Matthew Syed, who so he wrote Bounce, which is about you know practice, and he wrote Black Box Thinking, which is about transparency, and that that one kind of is about how it compares surgeons who don't share ideas and pilots who have to share ideas, and two hmm. ex, two extremely life you know life critical professions that have very very different attitudes toward transparency so but no rebel ideas is is essentially about that it's about the importance of different backgrounds in order to have and different viewpoints in order to be able to see all of the angles from a of a problem that's really fascinating because he talks about the all of the things that were missed in the lead up to Mm 9-11 that were missed purely because all of the people looking at the data came from the same background right and did so they they all had the same blind spots and then he talks about the and then he was involved in a kind of think tank for for the football association to and but it was involved lots of people who had nothing to do with football and had never played football and never been involved in the game because otherwise it's just ex-players who then became managers who were then all had this one particular viewpoint and Mm. actually how do you move things forward and change things if you've always got the same people the same viewpoint so yeah it's it's a brilliant book it's one of the best it's one of the best and most accessible kind of books on that idea of kind of diversity of thought being Mm. being genuine not just you know desirable but genuinely important for solving big problems yeah it it is it is a business asset to companies mm-hmm. that actually embrace it and and and, and try and encourage it. So I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So next question, Dave. We're into this is what was a, a bit of background when we, when I started the podcast. This was always a book. That was my own bias. I assume just everybody's a reader, so I had to I had to change a little bit to like a book or a concept. But what was a book or a concept that kind of fundamentally changed the way that you look at and think about things 
So it is a concept. It was something I learned from my kind of old boss and mentor, Matt Bickerton, many, many, many years ago, which was always pay for good advice. Now, ironically, Matt told me that for free because he was my <laughs> boss and mentor at the time. So I guess, you know, he was breaking his own rule. But it was something that, especially when I was starting out, I was kind of like, well, but why? You know, I can figure it out. I can learn it. And I, I came, especially when I started my own company, I came to realize just how right he was. So for example, paying, paying somebody really quite a lot of money to give legal advice and draft mm -hmm. contracts and uh, read contracts that I've been given by clients and see if I was, you know, kind of causing issues for myself down the line, massively more expensive than I was comfortable with. You know, it was just like, how could I possibly pay somebody this much money? But with his advice in mind, I did. Mm. And it paid for itself time and time and time again. It got me out of sticky situations. It meant that I was, you know, protected if clients didn't do what they said they were going to do and all of these different things. And it, it made me realize that the, you know, the thing you're paying for is somebody who's seen it before and mm -hmm. um, ha has learned from it and has done the work and has put the time in and can can give you basically a shortcut to, to doing that, as well as knowing the legalities of the UK legal system in that case. So that, that, that has definitely, definitely been proven true. And it, I've actually, I've realized it kind of expands a little bit beyond just, you know, paying experts for advice in the sense of a, a, a lawyer or a solicitor. It's also something I realized really applies to attending conferences as well. So okay. this is something I started doing, you know, more when I got to the point that I was like, well, I, I need to go meet other people who are doing similar things to me. Mm -hmm. I would start going to conferences. And it made me realize that what you're paying for when you attend the conference, in addition to the social side of it, which is mm -hmm. really important for connections, what you're paying for is to get 10 years of somebody's experience distilled into 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And what you get from that is that you can learn the mistakes they made in 10 years and the things that they learn and the things that they wouldn't do again and would do again without having to spend 10 years making those mistakes yourself and learning <laughs> them the hard way. And actually the value in that is incredible because that that could be a 10-year shortcut to something you want to achieve. You know, mm -hmm. and, and the fact that people are willing to share it, I think it's fantastic. The fact that, you know, the kind of the, the relationship is I will I will pay some money to go and hear this experience distilled so i think mm -hmm. that's a lot of what those conferences are always in my experience has always always paid for itself so i would yeah always pay for good advice okay i like that because i think there is and again just think about it from a business owner point of view there is always that sense that especially when you're starting out you know i could do that yeah you know i i i i could probably not i probably don't need to pay that person to do my website or I probably because because you know I can slap something together or I I probably don't need to have a get a designer because you know I can go onto Canva and knock something up and things like that but <laughs> over generalist and you think well, you can do a bit of everything that's right yes yep. uh, but there's there is there is some stuff that probably being being a specialist that is is helpful a law being one of them and and I guess accounting and and so on and so forth and I can and I, I, for just from my own fairly recent business owning journey, I can see how early on it's very, very tempting to just do everything on the cheap and do it either yourself or through, you know, there's an app that does it or whatever. Yeah. And and then you get to a point where you're like, oh, actually, if this goes wrong, that's kind of catastrophic. Yes. <laughs> and there are certain things, legal and contracts being the most mm -hmm. obvious one, but there are others as well. There's also, there's an opportunity cost aspect to this. There's the one thing I remember from my, my sixth form economics class, and I'm so glad I did, which is the, mm -hmm. 
if I'm doing all of these things, maybe there are some of them where I could do a, you know, I could do a half decent job of making a website. But if I, if I spend the next month making a website and designing my logo, that's a month that I'm not spending finding clients and building my business. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity cost of, yes, it's costing me this much to get someone who knows what they're doing, doing it, but they will do it in a 10th of the time and it will be better. And that's time I can spend actually doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, that opportunity cost, cost aspect of paying for people who know what they're doing is, is also easy to, easy to skip, especially when you're starting out and People who, you know, if you start your own business, you tend to be a bit cocksure anyway, because you're mm. like, what could possibly go wrong? I'll start a business. So yeah, that, that, that was another one I, I learned by doing it a few times and seeing the benefits and then doing it more. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I, I'm recognizing quite a lot of that right now, actually, to be honest, because the other thing about shortcutting, I suppose, is that it feels like you're saving time at the time. But then, I mean, the website, the website's the classic, website and social media for me are the classic examples where actually you're doing it yourself. And then there's always something you need to keep doing with it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not just a one-time opportunity cost. It's an ongoing kind of time and attention drain of, you know, someone texts you and said, did you know your website's not working? And you're like, oh, oh, right, yep. okay. And then, that's, then you've lost an afternoon. Mm. Uh, one, one example that came to mind as you were talking of that, of where the money ended up paying for itself many times over was... I just remembered that when I was working with the solicitor in question, his, his proposal, which I would never have thought of, was to come up with kind of a, almost a general purpose mix and match contract. Something where depending on the client and depending on the use case, I could kind of pick the best bits and say, these are the bits, I don't need this bit because there's no intellectual property involved, but I need these bits or whatever it might be. So he almost kind of made like a, you know, legal contract toolkit that cost more upfront because mm -hmm. he had to make it more general purpose and work together, whatever bits you put in. But it then meant that, you know, I didn't have to go back to him every single time and get a new one. So it mm -hmm. was kind of, he was actually giving more value up front that then paid for itself many times later. So that, that's another thing that I would never have thought of, but someone who's done this for 30 years mm -hmm. would, would propose. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, 100%. Excellent. So we're into the recommendations bit now, Dave. Okay, this is this <laughs> right. is the this this is the this is the insight into your workflow. Talk about the stuff that you use and the things that make your life easier. So, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about for just for a little while the thing that you can't. It's not allowed to be a phone or your laptop, but it can be an app if if that fits. I've had to tweak these rules so many times. What's the thing you can't live without? What's your like? absolute tool you use every day has to be there like 100 percent. so it, it it is well it's kind of an app it's more of a software thing mm -hmm. um, because all the tools i use tend to be software things because of mm -hmm. yeah, because of my chosen chosen discipline but it's version control and th okay. this might sound like a really dull thing to propose as a thing i use all the time you know we, when you're writing code you use version control to say hey i'm going to make a change and uh, I don't know if that change is going to work. So I'm going to kind of make like a, not a copy, but a, a branch off of my main set of code. And I'm going to play with it over here. And if it works, that's great. I'll bring it back into the main bit of code. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work well, I can just, you know, leave it over there. So um, use this all the time to be able to track experiments, track trying new features, and also to track what changed when. So that, you know, if you make some code, to ch some changes to your code, release the software and you get a bunch of bug reports. It's like, ah, okay, well, it's probably something I just changed. So you can go back and you can look and see, ah, okay, I changed these 10 lines of code. This one's probably the, the culprit. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it gives you that kind of almost paper trail of you know where where things might have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So I use that I use that all the time in my day job. That's not the bit that made me want to bring it up here because what surprised me was having got into the habits of using it for my day job and having those two benefits. One is I can see where I changed something and the other is I can kind of experiment and noodle on stuff without worrying that I'm damaging the one true copy of it. Mm-hmm. I actually started applying that to more things in life. So for example, when I was working on the typeset in the future book, I wrote it in another wonderful tool called Scrivener, which I would highly recommend for anyone writing anything, but I used version control on it. So that if I wanted to try writing about, I don't know, the the tricks that designers use to make you not read the text, I could kind of start that bit and just play around with it. And maybe it wouldn't work, but maybe it would work. And if I went down too much of a rabbit hole and wanted to undo what I'd done, I didn't have to rely on me still having it in my undo history. I could just go back to the previous version because it was in my version control. Mm-hmm. So I used it as a, as a kind of almost a tool to encourage diving off on tangents and going down rabbit holes, knowing that I could always go back to a known good state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually changed how I wrote it because it encouraged me to just, you know, go off in random directions in ways that I maybe wouldn't have wanted to do for fear of breaking things. And I've been recently, one of the hobbies of the week has been learning uh, 3D software. So 3D graphics software, which is a thing I know zero about. So I'm not even reasonably good at it. I'm just, I'm just crappy at it right now. So for that, again, having something where I can, I know this works. Okay, commit that, say that that's good. Now I can go and try another thing that's probably going to be broken because I've never done it before knowing I can always go back to something I know works gives me more confidence to mm-hmm. to play around and try stuff. That's a really interesting angle on it because if you think about when you said version control, my brain immediately leaps to kind of security, you know, constraints and ensuring, you know, that you've, you know, that you don't break things. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, 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 the idea that it encourages you to break things. Exactly. You put it far more succinctly. That is exactly <laughs> it. It's it is an excuse and a almost a license to try breaking things because it doesn't matter if you do, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's really freeing, especially especially on you know a creative endeavor. I mean, software writing is a creative endeavor in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, writing a book or or creating a piece of three D something is is definitely more on the creative design side of things and yeah having that freedom to try stuff out and see if it and it doesn't matter if it doesn't work it is very freeing mm-hmm. uh, even though the tools themselves are more traditionally as you say for accountability and you know paper trails perhaps mm-hmm. and how do you do you have something that you use for that like is there a is it just the concept that you use oh, okay. do you have um, a particular platform or so the, the the version control tool of choice these days is called Git. I'm not quite sure why it's an unusual choice of word, but but you know Git, literally G I T, is the the name of the tool of choice. And there are various hosted versions of it, including mm-hmm. GitHub, which is the one that I use. As so I use GitHub as the thing that hosts it, and I use an app called Git Tower as the thing I actually use on my Mac to you know kind of say, hey, I change stuff, save this as a new version that I know I can go back to if I need to. I use Git Tower because Git itself is a bit scary, but Git Tower makes it usable and nice and has an undo button. So if you do the wrong thing, you can undo it in there. Um, yeah. So the, your version control has version control? Yeah. Wow. 
dude, I heard, you, I heard you like version control, so I put some version control in your version control. Excellent. Um, I, I think version control, at least at the, the, the kind of the Git level, I think it's got a little ways to go to be truly understandable, but I, 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 it took me a while to get my head around it when I first started. Mm -hmm. And I wish I'd started with a tool like Git Tower because that would have really helped because it, mm -hmm. it gives you the you know, the nice user interface for, for doing it. And you can see here are the 10 things that have changed and you could look at them and click on them and see what has changed and go, yes, that is what I wanted to change. Actually, no, not that one undo. So, you know, you, you can, mm -hmm. it's a much more visual way of just getting a picture of what changes you made and whether you're happy with them or want to mm -hmm. uh, commit is the word for kind of saying, you know, put a new marker down, but even then there's still some, you've kind of got to get your head around the concepts a bit. Okay. So I, I think we've got a little way to go with with version control going mainstream but i would encourage anybody who's working on particularly text-based that was why it was so good for the book particularly text-based mm -hmm. creative things to, to give it a try sign up for a github account and you know try, try it as a way to to track your changes as you go mm -hmm. okay thank you Dave. so continuing in, in the vein of like recommendations and workflow and so on what was the last what was your last shiny thing you bought or acquired? So either the last like really useful or really exciting thing that you, you, you bought or acquired that you're sort of currently excited about. So I'm going to go useful rather than exciting. And this one really is a tangent. Okay. So one of the, one of the hobbies of the week, because yeah, it's, that's who I am, has been smartifying um, all of the electrics in, in the house that I live in, putting in smart light switches, that kind of thing. Because, you know, it's a new thing to learn and it's fun. And then you can um, tell Siri that it's telly time and she turns the lights off, which is actually really cool. There's also after telly when she turns the lights back on. That works well. So that was, that was a, a little project, a little hobby. But it also involved taking all of the electrical switches out of the walls of a house, which is not a thing I've done before. And I don't know about you, but I find electrics a bit scary because <laughs> they can kill you. So the device I bought was a little electrical tester that goes beep when there's stuff and doesn't go beep when there isn't stuff. And the reason I did this was because I started changing out all the switches and I, you know, you turn them off at the, the main power box thing. You turn them off and then you go and do your wiring and then you turn them back on again and it works so i did that and at one point i turned it back on and it it it, it didn't actually need turning back on I, I kind of you know i turned it off did the wiring and then the lights came on I was like that's not right and i realized i turned the wrong thing off at the main box right so i had been merrily doing my i don't know what i'm doing wiring with the power still on because i'm an idiot so that was one of those you know what this is actually the time when you do need to buy the right tool for the job and there is mm -hmm. a tool for that and it goes bing when there's stuff and it tells you when there's power and when there isn't just buy one so i did and not only did it stop me killing myself which is always good but it also made me do it about twice as fast as i would have done otherwise because i could just be immediately confident that there wasn't any electricity and just get on with it and i could go from switch to switch much more quickly so whereas I should have done it in the first place just for safety, actually the speed was the unexpected win. It kind of, it, it made okay. the whole, just, just buying the right tool for the job. This is true of DIY so many times. Just buy the right tool for the job, even if it costs you $30 or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And you will probably do the job at least twice as fast and also not kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And there'll probably be like less swearing and injury and, and so on as yes. a result. Yeah. Which is always good. I remember, um, who was it? I, I forget who it was who was talking to me about it, but it was like, you know, it was somebody from like parents' generation type 
It wasn't it wasn't mm. one of my parents, but someone from that generation talking a bit about DIY and the the dangers of doing electrical stuff or plumbing stuff. And he said that they're, they're, they're both equally tricky, but different kinds of tricky. So he said electrical stuff will kill you and burn down your house really, really fast, but you'll know it. Water will absolutely destroy your house, but you won't know it's happening until it's too late. <laughs> It's just like those are those yeah. those are the things those are that they basically if you're playing around with it the chances are if you don't do it right then you know something's going to catch fire or flood the problem with water is you don't know it's happening. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I could. I, I'm not sure I would tackle plumbing. Why is that different? I don't know if it's because I've got this strange kind of psychological. But I work with electricity every day. That's how my computer works. I mean, how hard <laughs> can it be? Whereas there aren't any water pipes inside my computer, so that feels scary. I'm not sure. But yes, I, I, for some reason, I decided electrics was was just about okay for me to play yeah. with. Um, but the, the, the principle of get the right tool for the job has proven itself, even outside of the world of DIY, mm-hmm. has definitely proven itself to be true. It's it's a bit like the pay for good advice. It's Pay for the thing that's going to make you safer and faster at what you do. Mm-hmm. Pay for software might be the bit I'm kind of alluding to on that. But the truth, the same goes for, for hardware as well. Yeah. And there's and there is always that sense that you can make do with other things, but there's if it's not the right, if it isn't the right tool for the job, if it's not, you know, if, if the screwdriver doesn't quite fit the screw, then you're going to end up like Grinding the thing out, grinding and now you can't get out. that out. And now you've yeah. got to go and buy the thing for getting screws that have had the top grinded out of them. You know, so you've got to yeah. buy another tool to, to fix the fact that you didn't have the right tool in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, nice. Okay, we're on to the home straight then, Dave. And I'd like you to, to complete me a sentence, which is do yourself a favor and do yourself a favor and make it yourself. Go on. So literally, I mean, really, literally do yourself a favor. If the thing you need doesn't exist, make it yourself. Because now it does exist and you've got the thing you needed. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. This this has certainly been something I've done really out of, I think, curiosity and tinkering over the years. But it's always turned out to be time well spent. Uh, In my case, it's been make software things because that's Mm -hmm. the world I know. But it applies to, to any discipline. So... I have three examples that came to mind when when you, you, you suggested the question. The first one, back in the day, I used to be a DJ. I wasn't a brilliant DJ, but I was okay at it, like most things. But what I really got annoyed with was carrying around a bunch of records and carrying around a bunch of CDs, because they're really heavy. So I made an app for my Mac that would play music from my iTunes library, and at the time, my iPod, because that sounded like fun. And I didn't know how to make an app. I'd never made an app in my life. They weren't even called apps then. We call them applications because we were old school. <laughs> but, you know, it was a thing I wanted. So I figured, well, I'll give it a try. How hard can it be? And so I made it and it turned out to be quite useful. And then I put it online and other people found it useful and I sold it. And it actually did quite well. Uh, moreover, it set me up for knowing how to program a computer, which was quite useful because that mm-hmm. wasn't really a thing I knew how to do before. So it did me a favor. I didn't mm-hmm. have to carry my records and my CDs around anymore. But I actually learned a ton of stuff about programming. I set myself up for probably the career I have now. And I made some money off it because I sold it to other people. Same thing happened later on when phones became a thing you could make apps for. I made a train times app because I wanted to know if my train was on time. So it was a problem I had. I made the thing. It was useful. And guess what? Turned out other people had the same problem. I sold that. That also did rather well. So Mm -hmm. it was another example of making a thing I wanted really to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. But... Turns out often that's a problem that other people have too. Perhaps the most unexpected one of these 
was back in the day, I bought a house and I wanted to figure out just how much money I was paying in interest on the house because I had a feeling it might be a lot. And they didn't teach me compound interest at school, so that didn't help. So I made an Excel spreadsheet because at that point, that was my tool of the day. I was really into my Excel that would calculate, like, if you paid this much, how much would you save? And you could kind of do it like if I paid, you know, 15 pounds more a month, how much time would I save? And it blew my mind because it was it was compound interest is a thing. You could save a fortune over time if you did these little overpayments. So I put that on the Internet as well, because like, hey, look at this. It's useful. And that was the single most popular thing I've ever put on the internet was that Excel spreadsheet. Even to date, <laughs> that is still the single most popular thing I've ever put on the spreadsheet, purely because it was a thing I wanted and would find useful. And it solved mm-hmm. the problem for me. So all of these things, it's kind of just reinforced itself. Each time I do it, if there's something you want and it doesn't exist, make it yourself. Mm-hmm. And having done yourself a favor, maybe do other people a favor as well and put it out there and share it with others and see if they find it useful too. That's fantastic. I like that. I'm also just reflecting on the fact that that's the single most popular thing that you put on the internet helped a bunch of people save money in their mortgage. Single most popular thing that I put on the internet was a picture of me with my three-year-old's pants on my head. <laughs> yeah, but just think how many more people now have their three-year-old's pants on their head because of that photo. That's, that's true. You know, that's you're true. making a difference one pant at a time. Now. That's important. <laughs> Excellent, Dave. Thank you. Where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at, at Dave Addy. That's Addy with an E, as universally misspelled. Or they can, if they really, really like science fiction movies and or fonts, they can find me at typesetinthefuture.com. Excellent. Thank you very much for getting up early-ish to uh, join us and do yourself a favour. You are our first transatlantic guest, which is extremely exciting. I'd have known I'd have done an American accent. Oh, uh, can you? Just for a little bit. (laughs) No, it's terrible. I'm not not even going to (laughs) try. It's so bad, it's not even funny. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, It's been great to to have you on the show. Um, You've been listening to Do Yourself a Favour, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. Brought to you by Make Work Work Better. My name is Tim Sisme from Make Work Work Better. Our theme tune is by The Titanics. Talk to you again soon.